episode of The Big Question presented by Friends of Film, a podcasting and in-depth look at specific movie-related questions. On this episode, we'll discuss the first seven years of the MCU and the DCEU. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, and this week I'm joined by Josh Straley. Hello, everyone. Hello, Cooper. Hey. What's up? Not a lot. <laughs> Good. It's been that... a while since we've spoken. Not really. <laughs> it's been two days. Hope everyone's week is going well and all of the news is great. Hopefully. Yes. But hey, speaking of that news, you can find it on Twitter, our Twitter, at Friends in Film, and along with other big questions and reviews of movies and everything like that, other pods, you can find those on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, and all places podcasts can be found. But if you can, on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. That'll ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. That's right. Um, But, yeah, so this week, uh, it's been a week now, a little more, since Shazam hit theaters. It's the seventh movie in seven years for the DC Extended Universe, quote-unquote, unofficially titled. That's what they're calling it, Worlds of DC, whatever you want to. They haven't officially confirmed what they're calling it. So that's what we are going with for the time being. Um, And... As a result of this and the success that Shazam has seen, both critically, financially, um, the sequel movie, as we discussed in the main episode, uh, there's been the obvious comparisons once again to the MCU, how it's how each movies are stacking up to one another. But we thought instead of going really movie by movie, who's made more money or who is more successful, we wanted to kind of take and strip all that away for the most part and look at how these universes, these major successful cinematic superhero universes on the big screen have uh, you know, grown over the first seven years that they've existed What and see what we can learn from them. So that is the big question this week. What can we learn from the first seven years of the MCU and the DCEU? And I think there's no better place to start, obviously, than right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it comes in completely different years, obviously, for both franchises. In 2008, Iron Man hits theaters. And in 2013, Man of Steel uh, did the same. Both completely different years, completely different uh, characters, obviously, at the center with Iron Man and Superman, but in a lot of ways, they are very similar. I mean, they're both obviously superhero origin movies, but when we were looking at them, we we're looking at Iron Man being a super successful launching point for the MCU, and then on the flip side, Man of Steel is this movie that has a passionate fan base that loves every second of what Zack Snyder did and saw how he is setting the stage for a cinematic universe that could potentially rival what the MCU had already become at this point. Mm-hmm. But when we, when we get all that away, you look at the intentions that these movies begin with. And both of them are in most cases, just trying to do justice to these characters. And I think for better or worse, um, you know, Iron Man takes a pretty faithful adaptation, takes Rob Downey Jr. Out of, you know, the back lots of Hollywood and puts him back in the forefront and then Zack Snyder with Man of Steel gives his own very, um, you know, different take that not a lot of people would agree with ultimately, but he sticks to his vision and um, I think makes a really compelling superhero uh, Superman origin movie in the process. Yeah, for sure. They're they're both well, they they both are modern rebrandings of characters that I guess that are on. I mean, obviously Zack Snyder is dealing with something much more beloved than Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, but Iron Man certainly takes a 
like a B plus Marvel character yeah. at this point, I think, mm-hmm. um, for a lot of ways. No offense to Tony, no. but um, and thrusts him into you know number one on the call sheet, front billing for the next few years. Yeah. Like it's the coolest superhero out there right now, I think, in a lot of ways. And what um, what went on with that though is a kind of find, finding a way to fit this character into modern life mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it does so really well by, you know, kind of playing with kind of like old war, um, like, you know, weapons and war and everything like that. And you look at that and you kind of, um, like I don't know, look across the aisle and you see Man of Steel doing something very similar in those ways, updating an icon for, I guess this, postmodern era mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and you get two different results <laughs> in a lot of ways um you, uh, i guess man of steel at the end of it is kind of looked on with a little kind of an ire with mm-hmm. a lot of people's eyes whereas john favreau's version of iron man is very much so much um he's kind of exalted in a lot of ways where he's there's two different characters being treated in somewhat similar ways. Mm-hmm. And you get these, you get this kind of like, I don't know, dip varying reactions to both of them, but they're both these first pegs in this grand universe yeah, that and, they're trying to establish. And even, even then it, like, as you mentioned, it's important to remember that even though the superhero and cinematic universe landscape is completely different at the time that Iron Man hits theaters and when Man of Steel does. Mm-hmm. Both films both have the intention of launching something that would become bigger than just this one movie. You know, Marvel Studios had already announced a slate of movies that would include Captain America the First Avenger, Thor, and with the hopes that they could one day get to the Avengers if it was all successful. This was all happening with Paramount and Universal at the forefront of these deals, making these movies before Disney took over the studio, whereas Man of Steel happens after the age of the Avengers, after Warner Brothers has has seen immense success with the Dark Knight trilogy at the hands of Christopher Nolan, taking his very specific approach to Batman, bringing it to the screen, and having people just fall head over heels for it. Mm -hmm. And that's what they wanted Zack Snyder do the exact same thing with Superman, but also do it in a way where they could leave the door open for maybe Christian Bale's Batman to come in and be part of that universe. Or, and if not, then you can start anew mm, and right. launch a whole new universe all on its own. Right. And remember that there was the whole saga where like he was, wasn't he like offered like a hundred million dollars? He was offered an insane amount of money for it. Just to reprise the role, which yeah. is ludicrous in so many ways. But like, yeah, like these movies are like the first stakes in the ground or the like they're the foundation mm-hmm. for modern comic book and superhero movies in a lot of ways. Like they set the mood and tenor mm-hmm. of what we're going to come to expect from, you know, superhero films. And also from both universes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like we know that Marvel had been on the scene with the it's X-Men films, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the, you know, um, previously, uh, but those dealing with mutants, it sort of feel divorced from reality. But both of these films put t- characters that we've at least known about in some way um, on our planets, mm-hmm. you know, just um, in both color and mood and like feel in so many ways. Like you felt like Iron Man was in a hangar somewhere, you know, in, in California or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, Man of Steel very felt 
very much felt like this guy could exist in our world. And there's a believability that all of these movies, both of these films stake out for us Mm -hmm. that I think is extremely important. Um, And just in terms of like initial buy-in. Yeah. Because we'd sort of been trained on that with the X-Men because that was, they're very much grounded. Mm -hmm. Although they were so wacky and weird. Right. But then we get the dark Knight, which basically um, Batman begins in the dark Knight, Mm -hmm. which basically create that. We need superheroes that we could believe can exist in real life. Yeah. And that, that's definitely a intention that both these movies are going for. I think it's one that both of them succeed. I think the only real variance here is the reception that they both received. Right. Iron Man beloved and it launches Robert Downey Jr.'s stardom. It launches MCU into a, another stratosphere that they probably didn't envision would happen anytime soon. Man of Steel made a lot of money worldwide, almost $700 million, but the critical re- reaction was split. The fan reaction was split for the most part. And as a result, it puts both universes in completely different positions. It gives Marvel Studios with the, the success of Iron Man complete confidence to move forward with their specific direction that they want to mm-hmm. go with character focus, but also not too dark in that real world setting, but also make it comedic. Yeah. Whereas DC sees the success of man of steel financially, and then is trying to figure out what to do about the critical and the, the perception around yeah. the film's quality and tones and everything precisely too. And it's worth noting that like Marvel was an underdog at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, at a point They're, really benefiting from that and that critical reception where you have Morton brothers, um, coming along, reestablishing Superman um, with Man of Steel and having to contend, or not so much having to contend with, but, you know, kind of making their first entry into a very, uh, with, with, into a very ready, readied audience for superhero films. Mm-hmm. And that there was pushback, that's for sure. Yeah. And so we go from Iron Man and Man of Steel to, from the beginnings to pretty much the next chapters for both films or for both universes, there is a small jump for the MCU as we pass over the Incredible Hulk. But we move into the world building stage. Mm-hmm. We we have set the stage for with Iron Man and Man of Steel for both universes, and now we get to Iron Man two and Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. And I think both movies you can compare a lot to each other, where both of them are more successful financially than the predecessors, but critically not as much so. Um, and both of them are also, in a lot of ways, hampered by the sudden um, urge to just expand the universe as quickly as possible without really any regards for what is happening to the supposed main characters mm-hmm. at the center. Yeah. There's a harried energy that both that, that both of these movies have that like you don't you can't really sense it when watching them individually. You know, like when you're watching Iron Man 2 and then you pull up Batman versus Superman as we reviewed on like one of the first reviews yeah, of the show very early on um that i didn't sense then either but there is this there's this intense desire to go big as fast as you mm-hmm. possibly can and like it's kind of personified in like tony stark's like need for speed monaco scene and like all of that <laughs> stuff and both of these films say we want it all mm-hmm. in a lot of ways um Iron Man 2 to a lesser extent than Batman versus Superman. Yes. Um, Nick Fury's entry, um, his, his first real entry, 
Um, we get to see Sam Jackson for the first time in the eye patch, black coat, and hear about yeah the, for for more than you know five seconds. Exactly, the Avenger Initiative writ large is shown doing express express to us, and that's like all fun and good. But then there's all these barbs and needles flying in that are I mean that are like you know there's a bigger world. Like here's the here's it's Paramount just kind of like screaming. Um, get ready here, here, like everything comes mm-hmm. and, and then Batman versus Superman is doing that exact same thing. Um, in an exact heavy fashion. And it's, it's eye rolly in a, like a lot of ways to me too, where you're just like, we get it. You have plans to make more money. Like, but what about this story? Isn't mm-hmm. this important in some kind of ways or should I just keep looking to the future? Um, and to a lesser extent, DC never like, got away from that at least i mean kind of going forward i mean it will be it'll be interesting to talk about that in a minute but um iron man 2 in that same way uh benefits from what comes after it um and positing those like origin stories mm-hmm. after but it's still just sort of like okay we can they, they can there's blood in the water there's like money on the table and, yeah like both studios <laughs> can sense it and you're just getting like the pure turbocharged um, drive from like uh, world building and success at this mm-hmm. point. They're all sort of victims of that initial launch. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, F- Iron Man two was rushed through you know development to get it out just two years after Iron Man hit theaters because Marvel Studios found out, wow, people love that first Iron Man movie. Let's make this movie as quick as possible. BVS, not as much the case. It took a couple more years. It wasn't always going to be. I don't believe BVS was going to be the direct follow-up to Man of Steel um, in Zack Snyder's original plan um, that was going to get there, I think, eventually. But I think a more direct Superman sequel was probably in the cards before Man of Steel didn't you know, make as much money or do as well critically or with fans as the studio envisioned. Like, All right, let's inject the new Batman back in, onto the screen just... Uh, in, let's see, this movie hits theaters in 2016, so just four years after... We see Christian Bale on screen as Batman for the final time, yeah. and so it's a very quick turnaround, and you can you can feel that. And I think Ben Affleck is a great addition to this cast and this universe as this Bruce Wayne. Um, but honestly, I think it's kind of funny that for both of these movies, potentially the standout of both are the new female characters they add um, in supporting roles. We get Black Widow ent- entering the MCU in Iron Man 2, and then in BVS we get Wonder Woman played by Gal Gadot doing the exact same. I think Gal's a little a lot more successful in making a true entrance mm-hmm. um, at this point. But this is also where we're seeing the introduction of more heroes all the time. So that way we can grow the universe and grow everything yeah. and expand. So we can get team ups down the road and see how these characters have already know each other. So that way they can call each other at a moment's notice. So they, they can do these team ups and they're raising the stakes in both regards where Iron Man two, it's, you know, the first Iron Man is just between Iron Man and, um, Obadiah Stane, that's all, that's the conflict. There's no world-ending threat or or any major, you know, we're going to kill a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 2, it has the, you know, it has Whiplash taking over all of those hammer drones and saying, like, we're going to kill all these people at Stark Expo. And then we flash over to BVS and we have, um, what's the dumb thing's name that I can't think of? The giant Ninja Turtle-looking monster, <laughs> Doomsday. Doomsday. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have him. And that is also playing after the fact of all the destruction that happened in Man of Steel that people pushed back against. And 
they're they're raising the stakes that these heroes have to go up against so that way we can get to another level mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point too. Like with this world building that they do, they introduce elements that are more interesting than the subjects of their films. And you pointed that out with, we get Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. And you're like, she is epic. She is awesome. That's really cool. Why do we have to like bother ourselves with, a you know, C plus, you know, Santa Monica fascist uh, whiplash, uh-huh. you know, and hit like, it's just like a weird uninteresting character all the way through. How do you, and same thing kind of with Wonder Woman. Like it is man of steel or Batman versus Superman is so bland up to the point where you're like, can we just hang out with her and Bruce Wayne for a while? Right. Like, I, why do we really have to do this whole thing with Henry Cavill's character and back and forth and all like, you know, Clark, whatever, you know, at that point. And so you're just as exhausting as these movies can, both are Mm -hmm. you left wanting more because there are these little gold nuggets inside of them and that um kind of like helps pave over in some ways the exceedingly average nature and i guess controversial nature in batman versus superman's Mm -hmm. case and as we like kind of go circle back around to the grounded aspect that we were talking about at the beginning of Mm -hmm. this is the world that we're setting these characters in both of these movies are also about seeing how the world is reacting to superheroes now being like in the public eye yeah iron man is trying to get the the senate is trying to take iron man's suit away the government is like basically going after superman for intervening in you know overseas fairs and everything like Mm -hmm. so there are these like real world implications that are happening in universe for both of these main characters that are built upon by what came before and then for the most part like just completely brushed aside as we move forward like that conversation is disregarded there's not a lot of well what happens you know now that x superheroes around i mean there's some conversations in future movies um Uh specifically in the mcu as we get to like captain captain america civil war or something but other than that like the the real world how would the actual government and people react to superheroes being around and intervening at all hours of the day in any event they want that that conversation is lost and i think that's probably for the a little bit for the worse because i think that's an interesting topic we could have explored but um i think the result of both of these movies are movies that don't completely they're not what they ultimately could have been Mm-hmm. Because they're hampered by the larger goals that both universes have. Yeah, you can just feel a desp like the de- you can feel people desperately clawing to get past this thing into the next thing mm-hmm. that they really want because they've bought in at least somewhat bought into the idea of we need uh, some kind of flow, a continuity. We need to we need to be we need to show our work before we get to a certain point. And I don't know if Man of Steel. Um, and Batman, I don't know if Batman versus Superman is somewhat, you know, hampered by the success of the predecessors mm-hmm. on the uh, on the predecessors on the MCU side, because that's something certainly that you can just feel more intensely mm-hmm. than you can in Iron Man two. But it's still there. Yeah, especially you know after the fact and going back to it all these years later and stuff. Correct. Um, but then we go from you know these world building pieces of uh, each universe to some interesting comparisons of their own of these period piece origin films that we get between captain America, the first Avenger and wonder woman. Both movies come 
after this world building has evolved, there's uh, there's teases of the Super Soldier Serum in prior MCU movies. There's obviously we see Wonder Woman and the um, the photo from uh, her solo movie in Batman v Superman, and now we get to see both of them come to life. And in a lot of ways, they both bring us the face of their respective universes without probably knowing it at the time. Yeah, because we get Chris Evans's Captain America, Steve Rogers, forced into the world in 1940 to become a superhero, and then. On the flip side, Wonder Woman does the exact same thing with Gal Gadot. And from this point on, uh, I don't think that's the intention at this point is to launch the new faces of these universes. But that is how these events have transpired. Instead, we get these origin movies that take place and they embrace the 40s and the different world wars they each take place in. And they're going against uh, evil, basically Nazis in, all, in both, both cases. And But then the there's a bigger implication at the stake of both of them where... Wonder Woman's going up against Ares, and Cap's dealing with Red Skull and the Tesseract. Yeah, and like both of these sort of follow that beginning formula of we really, really, really need to like stay grounded or like have the have there be a a real world part of this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're both following films that get a little fantastical. Um, I think Captain America follows Thor earlier in the year, right? Uh, that's correct, yes. Yeah, and Wonder Woman is following sort of this you know, doomsday arrival, like big alien in Midtown, destroys a bunch of stuff, and they send atomic missiles out and still doesn't do their damage, or like whatever the case is. And, and they both take those things and go fantastical with them even more. We get introductions of like Greek gods and goddesses and like all of those things. And next thing you know, in Captain America... He is chasing after a cosmic cube mm-hmm. and the infinity stones and things that'll matter a lot more, you know, come in the future. But there's these like real places that we can locate and understand. And then laid over top of them are these like big broad things that we can reach for and then, you know, kind of move us forward. And I guess in a lot of ways, um, I guess they really don't dive into mother boxes and wonder what they'll <laughs> do that. They do not. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that both of these movies are the direct precursors to the the team ups that we get at, in the heart of both uh, of these universes in the first seven years. We get Captain America ends with you know him coming back to the modern day. Wonder Woman is bookended once again by it's the introduction in modern day, and then it's the closing of the end in the modern day with the the letter that she gets from Bruce and the the finding the photo again. And yeah. so, and, but then Wonder Woman ends with you know her hearing a sound which is believed to be something from justice league and her leaping off into action to go be part of that mission. And then captain America, the first Avenger also ends with that same result of him waking up in the modern day and being approached by Nick Fury to be part of the Avenger initiative. So both these movies for the most part are completely self-contained. They take place outside of the larger continuity. So that way they can establish who these characters are at their cores, but they, even these movies still can't resist tying themselves into the larger universe when they can. Yeah, precisely. Um, But there's, there is certainly something about that self-contained nature that is appealing, Mm -hmm. especially in the, the gluttony of like, Oh, we have to have everybody everywhere. And it's really interesting though, too, because when we get this in wonder woman, as opposed to captain America, um, it's relief mm-hmm. in a lot of ways that she has her own story. 
Um, whereas opposed to in Captain America, the first Avenger, we hadn't really been trained on this, you know, that idea of crossovers and cameos right. and arrivals and shared timelines and stories and um, films. I get that, you know, we have, um, I don't know, something more to enjoy. We're mm-hmm. gonna, like, while we are seeing Chris Evans on, for the, on screen for the first time as Captain America, we're really just looking forward to the, the end credits. I mean, <laughs> yeah. in, in some ways to the Avengers. Whereas with Wonder Woman, we're, we've already seen her in action and now we're like, yes, now give me more of this character. Yeah, that's a weird parallel to have feel, like feel because I know for a fact, I'm like, okay, once we get through Captain America and him fighting Nazis, it's cool, but Avengers, mm-hmm. that's the moment. And then all the way through Batman versus Superman, the entire feel was, oh, just give me her. Like, that's right. what we want rather than anything else. And, you know, come along a little bit later, it's sort of like a groan when that team-up happens again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, so I think the, the results, uh, as I kind of mentioned at the top, is that th- both of these movies are successful on their own, um, and but they really help lay the stage for the larger universe, um, for the betterment of each of these individual characters to become the centerpieces in a lot of ways for what these respective universes would, will, will ultimately become mm-hmm. with Captain America taking a larger role. And even though we've yet to truly see this transpire with Wonder Woman, that definitely feels like it is going to be the case based on yeah. news of actors leaving and everything else. For sure. And there's like an optimism too, though, that both these yes. films share mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like when you say like they do, un- they both unintentionally, I believe, you know, um, or something about their spirit, whether maybe it's the period or just the characters themselves, um, really bring out a sense. I don't know. I don't say warmness that other films had been missing, but they're absolutely not the, I don't say hard rock or part like, you know, sort of like, um, rock star monster fueled monster energy. So like, you know, um, sports drink, like fuel, not sports drink, but, uh, <laughs> energy drink fueled, like rager uh-huh. that like for sure the Iron Man films are and, and definitely Snyder's films are in a lot of ways Snyder's too. are absolutely uh, Batman versus Superman. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. And for both of those uh, films, we have Joe Johnston bringing in a rocketeer sort of vibe to the character, embracing the forties element of it. And then with Wonder Woman, we get Patty Jenkins hearkening back to, um, you know, classic DC movies and trying to, it, draw inspiration from the original 78 Superman and some old movies that really just give you the heart of these characters. I think that's what both these movies do a really good job at as we then move forward to characters who are not as easily relatable. I mean, Wonder Woman is not super relatable in the fact that she's an Amazonian goddess that, you know, that's nobody else can relate to that. And (laughs) Captain America is the scrawny guy who is given this immense power, which again, not all people could relate to, but then we get to this epic introduction of Thor and Aquaman both get solo movies and we're jumping ahead a little bit for the DCEU because Aquaman came out in 2018 and we're jumping ahead of some 2017 movies at, at this point. But both these movies are very similar in the sense that we're looking at Asgard and Atlantis who are these two different corners in ge- in terms of geography but also just in terms of the look of each um, place. But both of them are still trying to bring apart this epic feeling of 
what these characters can bring to the larger universe. We're getting Thor and Asgardian and the Shakespearean vibes of the immense glory and history that comes with Asgard. And Kenneth Braun is really trying to amplify that all he can. Whereas James Wan with Aquaman is just embracing the weirdness that comes with a character and a world that can speak to fish. And we're going all in on those elements. And I think in a lot of ways, the intentions of both these films, um, it's a it's a mixed bag in terms of them collectively, because I think Aquaman is probably a lot more successful at establishing who Aquaman is in this movie and who will, he will be moving forward than Thor is in this original 2011 film. Because as we look forward to the future of the MCU, Thor changes a lot in terms of his look and his personality, which kind of makes Thor feel much more like the fish out of water movie that it is even more so because it just feels like Thor himself as a character is not who he should ultimately be at this point. That's, that's really true. And that's like a great point too. Um, when you talk about like these, these grand stages that these two people have, like you have Asgard and you have basically the seven seas yeah. or the seven kingdoms of the seven seas, Atlantis plus extra. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever Aquaman exists, <laughs> but you, you, there are these other worlds, these surreal places that they then take us to that are really exciting. And it, it, it's interesting too, that Thor is tossed out of his home. And the, the, the interest of that story is that he's on planet and fish out of water, like you said, story, wherewith James Wan's Aquaman is about him getting back home and us rediscovering that kind of place. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like there's a, there's a push and pull here of what needs to be seen or what wants to be shown. And it's, it's more funny. It's, it's comedically more interesting um, to get away from the heavens and Valhalla to back down to the earth Mm -hmm. where things are more comfortable and we can understand it better. And it's not as, um, it's not as aggressive to our belief capacities wherewith um, we have things like uh, Aquaman and everything like that. We move from earth, the place that we know so well and dive into the ocean and have our senses basically just overloaded by, you know, what Atlantis is. There's just, just like, I don't know, like arresting visuals that James mm-hmm. Wan crafted there. Well, and both of them are very much heroes' journeys of proving themselves to be the heroes that they're they've been born to be and the kings they've been born yeah, to be. Yeah, a very traditional superhero story. Mm-hmm. Like the, neither of them are breaking ground in that regards, but I think Aquaman is very successful in the way that James Wan and the crew are able to fully realize the aspects of the underwater kingdom of Atlantis and immersed you in that world in a lot of ways even though there is a there's a globe trotting nature of this where we're going to the deserts or italy um but in a lot of ways we are focused a lot on showing what atlantis is who atlanteans are what they're all about their personalities their quirks and thor it's we, we get a little bit of that and both mm-hmm. of them have those strange semi-evil stepbrothers of uh, with orm and loki so there's massive similarities between the two films and even though they take place at different points in the respective universe with Thor coming before the team up and the serving as the introduction of Chris Hemsworth's version of Thor and Aquaman coming after we've already met Jason Momoa's version of the character in a lot of ways 
Aquaman is still establishing who Jason Momoa really is going to be in this role because he has a very small role in his other appearances. Mm -hmm. And this one is him and James Wan just really just blowing up who Jason Momoa is and just letting that become who Aquaman is on screen. Whereas Thor, we don't get that for at this point, six more years, basically until Thor Ragnarok arrives. Absolutely. He's caged. He's, he's so much defined by the name Aquaman rather than he is as Aquaman Mm -hmm. where in his first, you know, iteration, um, which comes, you know, after a, a team up film there. And like you said, we're allowed, he, he's allowed to define it and is better for it in all sorts of ways. Whereas opposed to what we get from um, Hemsworth as Thor in that first Thor movie, which is just called Thor. Yep. It's weird. <laughs> Did not have a title um, anymore. But that idea um, of him, like you said, just being still being captivated to it, like it's just so stock where and sort of playing to what they think the character needs to be rather than like cutting and letting loose. And maybe it's because if it's closeness, I'm not sure, but that, yeah, that's absolutely an interesting point, but they both just take us away from everything. Mm-hmm. Um, although Thor does bring us back, but we're removed from it and we're kind of shown there is, there's not only something else out there, there is a completely under other world out there. Yeah. It opens up so many possibilities for the future of their respective universes. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's it's pulling the curtain back just a little bit rather than all the way. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get into the team-up movies uh, for the MCU and the DCU with the Avengers arriving in 2012 and Justice League in 2017. Um, and it's both these movies are obviously the product of what you would hope would be years of planning, um, but the execution of these plans could almost not be any more different. We have the Avengers following very carefully the footsteps that Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios had planned out before where we have all of these movies lead up to see them all cross over. And even though that is still the case in terms of how we get there with Justice League, that this this was the, supposed to be the third film in Zack Snyder's original plan, uh, the product that we have with Justice League is not what that vision is supposed to be. It is completely changed. It is rewritten. It's reshot. It is from a, it is partially from Snyder's vision and partially from Joss Whedon, who also directed the Avengers coincidentally enough, which makes them all the more fascinating <laughs> to compare to one another. But when you look at the intentions of both of these movies, the Avengers is just trying to show that this can actually work on a large scale where there could, there's, you know, been some smaller instances of shared universes or crossovers of such magnitude on a, on a TV um, scale, but on the movie scale with these biggest franchises um, of all time, potentially is what they'll ultimately become. um, We're looking at this bringing together all these different characters, all these different egos and trying to do so in a way where people who have seen these movies can understand it. And people who have not seen movies can also Step in and figure out, okay, here's who Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Hawkeye, Black Widow, and Hulk all are. Here's who Nick Fury is. Here's who Loki is. And this movie is also responsible for just launching more of the grand scale and showing a tease of what is to come ultimately in the future by the end. Whereas Justice League, we are getting all of these people interacting, but it's the first appearance of Jason Momoa as Aquaman. It's the first appearance truly 
for Ezra Miller as the Flash. It's the true first appearance of Ray Fisher as Cyborg. It's the true first appearance of J.K. Simmons. It's it is just really blowing up the world in a lot of ways, and it feels very rushed. And obviously, that comes from the Warner Brothers, you know, push to get this movie out there, but also in the competing visions of what this movie should ultimately be. Yeah, and it's very funny too to think about these in terms of one sort of basically gives the green light, the go, 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 go for everything that'll come after it mm-hmm. for all of phase two, three, and four. Is there four phases? Uh, that we will be in phase four with Spider-Man Far From Home. Okay, gotcha. But it's like this a, year. Or like, like a reset and it's now stage one or something like that. Yeah. Possibly. Okay. And whereas Justice League sort of just is the is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's what yeah. causes them to pull the plug on a lot of things um, other than, you know, like what is good and what is right and, or what is, you know, successful yeah. financially. And so much so that, like you said, when you get to, when you arrive at Avengers, it's really at that point slotting in what you know about and what you feel most importantly felt about characters and just has an adventure with them in so many ways. That's sort of why we can pick up and watch the animated justice league cartoons. Cause mm-hmm. what you know and feel about those characters is just all right there. Yeah. And it runs with it. Whereas opposed to when we get to justice, League, it still feels like we're learning mm-hmm. about what this world is about in DC. And maybe it's the problem with juggling complex things maybe it's I mean, obviously it's really hard to compare because of just the hectic and tumultuous um production mm-hmm. that it's had to have gone the movie went through but you can still you can your mind is still trying to process all of these new things that really you don't have time for like you said it's the first time we meet in flash we're trying to get a handle on jason momoa's aquaman is there but he's not there He's just around. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Cyborg. There's a story with him. And there's still like these unresolved tensions and issues between Batman, Wonder Woman, and the film's runtime. And all of these things just can't contain what it ultimately tries to do because there's no Justice League without mm-hmm. Superman. They don't even try to you know pull that off or hold on to it till another film. They have to tell that story. Yeah. And you can feel it rushing itself all the way through, whereas Avengers is just sort of gliding along. Mm-hmm. And these, and while these movies are all team-ups and actions, how they go about doing that is really just, you know, um, it's prisoner. It's shackled to what's done around it because there was that promise of um you know like build up and um just sort of progression mm-hmm. and one lets one you know supercharged and jumps to hyperspace the other just lets the air out of everything yep and it's very stark and that's where i think the the results of both these movies is where i think it's most for me at least the most fascinating part about looking at these two and where they come in terms of the larger universe it the Avengers comes after five years of the, of the universe existing mm-hmm. and justice league comes four years after, even though there was a long gap between man of steel in 2013 and the next new movie in 2016. So it's really 
when the DCEU is kickstarted with Batman v Superman, this is coming a year after, a year and change, like a year and a six month, basically. But Avengers is the result of this movie is a proving point that to Marvel Studios that what we are doing can work and it can work immensely well and become incredibly successful. Whereas, as you mentioned, Justice League is the movie that broke the camel's back. It is the movie that completely uh, changed the direction that the DCU was heading. If it wasn't already being changed before then with all the tinkering that was being done with the movie during and before and after production. Right. This movie is ultimately the beginning of a course correction that Warner Brothers and DC are trying to implement without completely disregarding what Zack Snyder was trying to tell at the same time. It is ultimately a movie of competing visions that cannot work together and cannot meet the same goal. And I think that's in a lot of ways why it struggles to meet any you know, sort of satisfaction in achieving either of those because it can't be the conclusion of Snyder's vision because it was never going to be. It was only going to be the middle part of a five film, you know, arc. And it can't be the, here's the reinvention of the Justice League in the DC universe for, for one of those because there's the other elements that Snyder was still including and they still had to work that in there because there just wasn't enough time and one of the brothers didn't want to delay the film so they would lose bonuses on their back end. Mm-hmm. So it is the complete polar opposite are the results here where Avengers gives Marvel all the confidence in the world and justly completely removes all the confidence that Wonder Brothers may or may not have had even going into it to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings us then to where these, for the most part, these universes start trying to take chances and we're jumping back a little bit for the DCEU, but I think it's interesting to compare Iron Man 3 and Suicide Squad because Iron Man 3 is a movie that focuses and gives Shane Black complete control and it is we we've done the Avengers how do we go back to a solo movie how do we take these characters who now know each other and put them on their own and let them carry the weight of the world on their own shoulders once again and then Suicide Squad is building off of the back of Zack Snyder's grounded gritty version but then also trying to figure out and work a way around the response to bvs yeah to then all right well now let's have a trailer house edit this movie and then that gets even worse reviews i believe than bvs received um even though both of these movies are incredibly successful both these films are also very um divisive even though i think iron man 3 is more favorably liked than i think you could say about suicide squad both of these movies have villain choices that split audiences they have standout characters, but they also have characters that people don't uh, become attached to. And both these movies feel somewhat pigeonholed to the larger universes as well, where Iron Man 3 can't do too much because there's still other things to come afterwards. Suicide Squad can't kill all the main characters because these are major stars with Will Smith, Margot Robbie, Jai Courtney, and all these the people that you'd want to have around for sequels as well. Yeah, And... I think that is where these movies and these and both of these studios for the most part figure out that you can take chances, but sometimes you can't swing too big in trying to change what audiences are willing to accept in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's a really good point. And I'm kind of getting back to sort of like taking chances, but like also like director vision mm-hmm. is really at the forefront Yeah, in these movies. And you know, like again, there is 
to a much larger extent, what goes on in Iron Man 3 is so very quintessential Shane Black, as opposed to you can feel David Ayer in Suicide Squad, but you can also feel where David Ayer's voice was tampered down, muffled, you know, chloroformed and, you know, locked in a closet, you know, something, something like that. But you could also feel the impact that Snyder's vision had yeah. heading into this movie. Absolutely. But um, very much so, Ayer's, the quality of Ayer's things lines up with Snyder. And so it's cohesive at mm-hmm. the same time that it's um, sarcastic, snide, and a little gritty without being too grim yeah in a lot of ways but at the same time it's just front loading and packing in so much that it so much story and weight and character weight that it can't possibly unpack or you know um stow away in the two hours that it has it and instead of you know being some kind of crazy action romp or any, any kind of complete arc for any of those characters. It's it like, it falls down because it again is being asked to do something that two other films should have done for it mm-hmm. rather than that. And that's where these missions really start to diverge. And then you just kind of cross over the aisle to Iron Man three. It gets to be a, a story about one guy again, and Shane Black, who has worked with Downey Jr. in the past, like there's that there's that chemistry and symmetry there, where they can tell a one-time contained Iron Man story with 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 lowered stakes, you know, pulling back just uh-huh. a little bit, and not have to worry about the grand implications of what came before it. Suicide Squad was in the aftermath, the summer of BVS, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and so. I mean, there are a bunch of baddies doing undercover work, so you know there's not really too much there, but it's still on the peripherals. I'm not sure Superman is referenced in being as being yes, he's referenced to be dead. We see Ezra Miller's Flash for like five seconds, and then Bruce Wayne shows up in the post credit scene, I believe, as mm-hmm. well. Um, I think it's funny that both these movies also, uh, even though they they come apart, they hit theaters three years apart from each other, are both movies that upon the time of their release are were kind of hit by those well how come x person didn't help out with this questions of <laughs> well how come shield wasn't around to help you know try to stop the mandarin or you know check on tony when you think the world's biggest superhero and you know public star is suddenly possibly dead yeah there's no real like search or cry out for him or anything Rhodey's off doing who knows what in the Middle East? Um, there's no there's no talk about the larger universe in Iron Man three and Suicide Squad is the same way where it's like, well, how come you don't just get Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman to come to that city and take on Enchantress herself? And I think it's both these movies are just learning curves for both um, universes in that regard of and their fan bases where you can tell these single contained stories and you don't have to worry about how it all connects to everything and how come X wasn't here. How come this doesn't, you know, tie into this movie. Yeah. Sometimes these movies can just stand on their own and whether or not they, they work for you, that is up for debate. Um, but they're both products of directors and studios willing to take a chance, uh, for better or worse. Yeah, for sure. And that brings us then to the last point here, which is, I think 
embracing the comedy, but also a shifting point for both universes where this year is the release of Shazam and it's proven to be incredibly successful already. But um, we also wanted to compare it then to the 2014 film Guardians of the Galaxy because both these movies take on the comedic approach that uh, has become incredibly popular for the genre. They star lesser known people they give a voice to directors who we have not heard much who who we've heard from before but not at this sort of a scale um but also they both seem like the turning points for their respective universes where we've, we've seen these results with mcu of guardians win all in on the comedy and that gave us movies like thor ragnarok or ant-man or ant-man mm-hmm. and the wasp um in the future and we've seen just the comedy kind of continue to build and James Gunn's input on cosmic stuff continue to last. Shazam, we haven't seen that result yet, but this was the first film that new DC Films head Walter Hamada worked on that he helped shape. And whether it's completely embracing this comedic approach from here to the future, I think it's just showing that you have to do what is best for these characters regardless of the genre so you can make captain america the winter soldier a political thriller you can make black panther this um this like james bond-esque you know adventure film that also has political and social uh ties to it as well but then you can have shazam be just a superhero version of big the movie by tom hanks then you can also have you know next year potentially birds of prey be a r-rated harley quinn girls team-up film if that's what it takes to get that character done justice yeah absolutely and that's like it's something it's sort of just finding the groove of the what where the characters can lead to um in a lot of ways like there's something inherent about all of these characters regardless of who or what they are they can take you down these certain paths without having to jam them into something completely different or out, like completely outside of itself mm-hmm. in so many ways. And that kind of is what Shazam does is it just leans in to the absurdity or not the absurdity, but the, the absurdity, but the fun that um, Shazam is a kid becoming a superhero and knowing that it's not about with great power comes great responsibility or anything like that. <laughs> it's just about, what can we get away with? And there's this there's this wink to the modern times that Shazam does that Iron Man does in a lot of ways. What do billionaires do? They party and have fun. Um, but if they're arms dealers and they're also really smart, where does that lead? You jump forward here and you have that happening with Shazam in so many ways. And it just lets the cord go. And... For, for, I mean, cuts cuts ties with everything that came before it and then just runs with the premise and the idea of everything. And then you kind of walk over to Guardians of the Galaxy after we've had these ultra-grounded stories all the way through. We've sort of been, we've seen aliens, we've seen Thanos uh-huh. and all of this kind of extra extraterrestrial stuff, but we're very much quippy and still afraid to push the envelope enter guardians of the galaxy where they let go of oh, who gives a crap if we need to have some kind of you know a level of grime over a lot of our things let's just get weird with it mm-hmm. i i mean like in in so many ways where every line is a joke every every bit every piece 
is some kind of, you know, uh, there's no self-seriousness. There's no real heavy weight that needs to be carried by it. It carries out its, you know, little infinity stone plot line. Mm-hmm. Um, but that side, that that's a really, that's a side quest to the most important part of the film is just, we're going to joke around about, you know, a talking raccoon in the giant tree with a guy who, you know, jams out to the, the finest music of the billboard 100, you know, right. from the, from his day and age. And, and suddenly you cannot see guardians of the galaxy and Iron Man existing in the same world anymore. It just, it just feels weird to think Iron Man was, would spawn a talking raccoon mm-hmm. in a bit in a tree, you know, um, just like taking people to task. Right. It's ultra strange. And with that, if you've shown someone Batman versus Superman or even Man of Steel to the high, the, the, um, the latter portions of that film, you still think same studio making these films. I mean, of course there's that turnover, um, like you mentioned with Hamada, but at the same time, it's a, it's a, it's a signal of a new direction in a lot of ways. And it's of course, no surprise that both the directors of these films are on their way back or came back, mm-hmm. you know, to do more because what they've accomplished, um, is really like the future for all of those things. Um, and you can say that too, because God, what gun did with guardians is really, like you said, allowed them to be open the door to letting the lunatic Taika Waititi in. <laughs> I mean, like lunatic, yeah, no, it's no. not real, but you know, just hold it hilariously genius to come in and run with things and create Ragnarok and let oh my gosh, I mean, so many other things kind of like just let the, everyone else go for it in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even Ant Man in a lot yeah. of ways probably wouldn't be what it is without Guardians. Is that 2015? Uh, yes, yeah, and so when you start to see those things kind of like what cascades from these decisions and choices, it's, it's a pivot point for each of the studios. Mm -hmm. Well, and guardians is introducing the cosmos more, even though we've had hints of that with, you know, Asgard and stuff in the Thor movies. And then Shazam is introducing magic in a lot of ways to the DCU. So even though it's, this is no Dr. Strange in that, in, in that regard, um, both these movies are, widening the tone that audiences will accept with these films and what the universe can go for, but also they're expanding what sort of content and characters and realms and stories can be told because they're introducing new elements that can then be established and play upon in future films as well. So, um, and I think the results for both film are resounding victories for both. Uh, we'll have to wait and see obviously what the final, you know, tally is and everything for Shazam's box box office and stuff. But even then, um, just the response that both these films have had has just been so successful and positive that uh, it's impossible not to just see how Shazam will then be played out further in the future with more sequels, but also Aquaman 2, the future with that, they'll probably embrace more of the weirdness and the comedy that James Wan was going for mm-hmm. with the first film. One over 1984 will probably lighten it up even more so um, and pro- maybe go for a similar type of tone here. And then as we just see what else DC has in store for the future, um, that's where I think we're, again, this is the shifting point. As much as Avengers and Justice League both shifted the universes in their respective ways, these films are where we can see 
how these universes are going to expand in the future moving yeah, forward. Yeah, and it's something it's quite interesting that we had to sort of like be trained to accept superhero films mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, like I want to go back like real quick to like that gr like grounded nature though that Man of Steel and Iron Man had and then move us to like kind of like the recent entries. Yeah. Like Infinity War. Oh, it's insane. Could you imagine that coming from what Iron Man had? Like wow, no, what Iron Man I, was. And I think that's in a lot of ways because of what the superhero landscape had been before. We had yeah. seen these wackier versions of superhero movies come mm -hmm. out and just fail terribly. Right. So then we had the X-Men movies, the Spider-Man movies, and then Nolan's Batman films come in and say, here are superheroes. This is a very realistic world grounded in science and technology and money. And that's how these characters, for the most part, uh, exist and live their lives. And that's how, that's how we, that's how we thought it had to be. Mm -hmm. And then as these movies progressed and they've, built out more elements that's how we get uh, a captain america and wonder woman where we go back in time we get a thor and aquaman where we s just subtly kind of lay the seeds of there's other things out there and then in enough time we can get to the point where we can have a guardians and a shazam and so here's the weirdness that these movies can really go for where we can have you know talking creatures in both films and expansive libraries of characters and these deep mythologies that go way back thousands of years and then we can move to the future. We can have an Infinity War or an Endgame uh, with Marvel. And then in the future with DC, we can hopefully have a Justice League 2 or a Superman sequel. Where we have Brainiac coming in. Or we can have the Green Lanterns come in and give us a cosmic space force of their own. And for a lot of ways, again, these movies are just showing that that is that 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 grounded gritty realistic take mm -hmm. can work and it can be very successful but for it doesn't sure. have to be the same for every character it's yeah. whatever is best the overturn window is being moved too like in a lot of ways so like from the, what we've were expected and the thought we had to have to what we have now um it's just like taste change in a lot of ways and maybe like and it's kind of the, like one of the interesting things that i we think maybe we should have pointed out a little bit more is the BVS movie or the BVS movies, the Snyder films and a lot of those are coming in at the very tail end of what we expected from like grit superhero films mm -hmm. or not even so much grit, but grounded and aggressive, but comic with comical quips mm -hmm. laced throughout them. And all the while those were sort of mirroring and mimicking those first gen MCU films, you're getting the MCU turning things over into more um, witty and meta and kind of just sort of less, uh, less serious and more whimsical mm -hmm. as they move forward and get to Avengers and open with Iron Man three and everything that cascades from it. And then you're looking across the aisle and you're thinking, well, what's going on over there? Like, what stick is up their butt <laughs> in a lot of ways? And there's there's that attitude, like, where it's just sort of like, it wasn't so much an arms race, but it was just trying to define tastes mm -hmm. with, with these properties and seeing the disjarring nature as we move through them. Um, but very much still at the same time, 
doing the similar things in every respect and achieving them in some ways to a lesser degree, failing maybe once or twice with those, like we talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that was really well said. And I think just as we wrap up this big question here of what can we learn from the first seven years of the MCU and DCEU, I think it's pretty simply for me, at least that's just these franchises are a lot more similar than a lot. I think a lot of people want to believe that there's a lot of this and there's this Marvel vs. DC thing online that dominates a lot of conversation. And, you know, I think it can sometimes that can be a fun conversation to have in jest of like not taking it too seriously. But then would you really break it down and look at it like this where the box office or critical success may vary. But when you really look at how these universes have both transpired, there's a lot of similarities in the, in the successes that they've had in the failures that they've both shared and in how they've each grown and seen themselves evolve. And so I think when we're looking at the future of the DCEU, is it bright or is it not? Uh, How does it stack up to Marvel? It doesn't matter. It's, it's going to come as it will be. And Mm -hmm. that's totally fine. And if it took DC longer, I don't even know if it really did. I mean, it it may take them longer to find their true footing due to just changes at the top of the studio that they couldn't really completely control. Um, but we're looking at the execution of the characters and seeing how these universes have gotten from point A to where they are now. They are they're in similar positions in a lot of ways after seven years. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's a, that's a really great point though to make is like where they are. Um, in regards of today and were, because like that progression took innovation. I mean, like, and if we kind of dug through like line by line, MCU line by line, DC, you can track and see the shifts happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of year to year rather than, you know, films of film because of the nature of these things. But there is, there is, there is somewhat of calculating, coordinating and, taste curation going on with producers and Feige f- was able to innovate on that like you know first and foremost and to a certain extent um, Hamada has begun to do that in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, Guns Aquaman was already what it was going to be I believe yeah it mainly stayed intact yeah um, but Shazam like the first whole product of Hamada is very much in line of, you know, put it finally just put its finger on the pulse and got its nose out of like the book, I guess, or the plan, the mm-hmm. map that they've been made rather than just feeling it beat for beat. And that's the promising part of all of this mm-hmm. in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see how the DCU shapes from there where the MCU from the first seven years on really leaned into the connectivity of it all. It'll be interesting to see if the DCU does the same thing or if they'll try to maybe stay a little more standalone in their adventures. And if we get to a Just League 2 one day, great. But if it if we don't and then we just see smaller crossovers, then I think that would be totally fine as well if we don't get a Infinity War level event for the DC Universe. As much as Warner Brothers might like it, it may just not be for the best at this point. It may be better for them to just take it slow, have a Wonder Woman appear in Shazam 2 or have you know, smaller crossovers like that happen. But um, that's one interesting thing I'm looking forward to seeing uh, as the DC progresses. And then on the flip side, seeing if the MCU scales back that connectivity as we get into a post-Endgame world where Spider-Man Far From Home has Nick Fury, Maria Hill, and other MCU characters appearing. But, like, 
will that be the same for Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2? As we move forward, are they yeah. going to scale back and try to deconnect a little bit to allow stories and characters to grow on their own? No connections, just cameos. Yeah. And that's kind of like the weird thing is Shazam's winking at that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Interconnected stories and a clash near the end, possibly, maybe. Um, check the main show for mm-hmm. talk on that. <laughs> but, you know, it looks like they're like the the stars are aligning in sort of in some regards to those kind of ideas. So it'd be crazy to see play out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's all we have on this topic. Maybe one of our longest big questions in history. So hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, this conversation. And, and if you have, or uh, if, you, if you didn't, I guess, uh, let us know what you guys think about the comparison of the first seven years of the MCU to the DCU. You guys can tell us all of your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting us at Friends of Film. And you can follow me personally on there at MovieCooper. And you can get at me, Josh, or just Josh Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star view with comments. Tell us why you enjoyed this to the show. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Josh. Thank you for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our future episodes.